starting in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. The word of the Lord. Shall we pray? Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you. And we come to you because you are the only sovereign God, maker of heaven and earth. You are our creator, and we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We reflect your glory. But Father, we confess our sinfulness has caused us to trade the glory of God for created things, things that cannot satisfy us. We confess that often we think and we trust in things, counterfeit gods who cannot save. Father, we confess that you are our only hope in life and death. We thank you that you do not give us what we deserve, but you took what we deserve on the cross. And you stood in our place. You suffered the wrath that we deserved, and you give us the righteousness we could never own and never earn. Father, I pray that the truth of the gospel, the good news proclaimed to us by the reading and preaching of your word, would cause our hearts to be stirred with deep gratitude, with incredible love, that it will motivate us in our thoughts, in our words, indeed, to bring you glory because you have given us mercy and grace. On our own, we are lost. United with Christ, we have salvation. Father, inhabit the praises of your people. Lord, give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts that love that we may go forth from here changed to be able to tell other beggars the source of bread. Father, we thank you. We praise you and we love you. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. If you're not already there, if you turn to Colossians chapter 2, we'll be looking at 8 and 10 as we're back in the saddle with Colossians. We, it's good to be back. When Anna and Andrew were little, and Crosby especially now, uh, Denise and I, like every good parent, taught our children about stranger danger. We warned our children to never talk to strangers, don't go anywhere with a stranger, and never, ever, ever get in a car with a stranger. Why did we do that? Because we knew the awful realities of evil people who prey on the innocence of children. And therefore, we warned them, if anyone asked you to help them find their puppy, what? You say no, and you run away. If anyone offers you candy, to, that there's caught candy inside their car, what do you do? You say no, and you run away, and you find us or find another adult. If anybody grabs you, you scream, kick, bite as hard as you possibly can to get away from them. They are not your friends. Why? 
Because we know the unspeakable horrors that they would face if they were taken captive by wicked and perverse people in this world. And therefore, because we loved them so much, we sought to protect them from those who would seek to do them harm. Our passage this morning in uh, Colossians 2, 8 through 10, Paul is doing that very thing. He knows the eternal dangers that the people at Colossae face, and he knows the false teachers who have penetrated the church who are starting to whisper that they need to go away from Christ towards counterfeit gods. Well, I want you to know, Ocean Park, this morning, uh, that this is what you must walk away with knowing. You must not be led away from Christ by counterfeits. You must not be led away from Christ by counterfeits. And to do this, I, I want you to know these two things. One, counterfeits leave you empty. Counterfeits leave you empty. Christ leaves you full. Counterfeits leave you empty, verse 8, and Christ leaves you full, verse 9 and 10. Notice this uh, first emphasis Paul gives us, and I echo Paul, and I pray that the Spirit applies to our life, is this, counterfeits leave you empty. Notice verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. There was a great danger that had begun to lurk within the, the uh, church at Colossae, and it was the form of false teachers. False teachers who were offering the believers in Colossae a higher level of spirituality and a deeper knowledge that they could have to draw them closer and deeper to who God was. And Paul, knowing that this danger was there, and knowing that to be able to embrace this teaching, you had to loosen your grip on Christ. And Paul knew full well the consequences of like this, and I didn't read this story ahead, like the little girl hanging from the cliff, to let go of Christ, to reach for counterfeits, causes eternal destruction. And Paul knew that those counterfeit saviors and the counterfeit gods would only lead and only offer them danger and deceit. Notice the danger that was part of these counterfeits. See to it that no one takes you captive. No one takes you captive. Word had gotten back to Paul, most likely by Epaphras. Epaphras was the pastor who had started this church, planted this church, if you will, and brought back to Paul with the report that things were going really well in the church, but he had a concern. He had a concern that there were some teachers that were promising deeper knowledge and a higher spiritual experience that was disconnected from Christ. So Paul warns them in no uncertain terms when he says, no one take you captive, that following the wisdom of these false teachers would lead you to destruction and captivity. Now this word taken captive has the essence of prisoners with shackles around their neck being led off into captivity. And Paul says, 
be careful that you're not found in that situation by abandoning Christ and letting go of him. Therefore, Paul and all of us who over the shoulders of the Colossians church read his words are warned about the dangers of wandering from Christ. But, what, but how does Paul do this? How are we, like my children when they were little, warned of stranger danger? I never came up with a good word, uh, theological, strange theological word, danger. There was never a, r- a good ring. But how can we see plat- past the glossy finish and the sugar coating to be able to reve- reveal the death and the decay that festers within the false teaching that was being taught and whispered to these people? Because it was very dangerous, the threat that was arising in this church. There was danger, and there was, this danger was done by deceit. Notice it uh, continues in verse 8. By philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, not according to Christ. At the heart of this false teacher, of uh, false teaching, you notice it's philosophy and empty deceit. And this philosophy and empty deceit had the desire to replace Jesus and faithfulness to Jesus with faithfulness to a particular tradition or a particular teaching. Now, when we see the word philosophy, immediately you might think of Bruner and Kant and, and likewise, and it's not philosophy as necessarily as a pursuit of knowledge like classical Greek or Roman learning, but it was the fundamental assertions of a particular framework or thinking. Now, if you notice, keep your finger here if you have to flip, Colossians 2, verse 20 and 23. Colossians 2, verse 20 and 23. Paul sort of illustrates some of the things that are being taught by these false teachers in the church. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? These teachers were teaching that these Christians had to do something to go beyond Christ for a higher level of spirituality or deeper faith or deeper knowledge. Do not handle, do not touch, do not, um, do not taste. Refer to things that all perish. According to what? Human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are no value. They are worthless in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Somehow in this church in Colossae, the false teachers had come into the sheepfold and to the safety of the good shepherd, and they were beginning to whisper to the sheep, let's go out there. Let's go out there. It's better. There's better, greener grass over there. It tastes better, and we can be full, and we can leave the shepherd. This is a good place to be, but let's go out there. The problem is those whispers were coming from the wolves that were in the sheep clothing, and once they got out there, the wolves would tear them apart because they had wandered from the safety of the sheepfolds. The whispers said they needed to go further than Christ could bring them. They needed to do more than Christ did on the cross. They needed to know more than Christ could teach them. So Paul issues them a dire warning not to leave Christ for the captivity and the danger of false teaching. 
Why did he do this? And what, what was this false teaching? This philosophy, and this philosophy that was based on the speculations of men. Notice that the latter half of verse 8. According to what? According to human tradition. Now again, this is not an indictment on tradition um, uh, per se, but an indictment on anybody who deliberately or deceitfully replaces the truth of God for man-made speculations. Jesus himself, quoted from the prophet Isaiah, said this, which we read in our responsive reading. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, speaking to the scribes and Pharisees. As it is written, this people honor me with their lips. We're serving God, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. Teaching as doctrines, what? The commandments of men. You leave the commandments of God and hold to the tradition of men saying, this is tradition, this is how we worship, when in reality they're ignoring the very commandments that God has given. Brothers and sisters, counterfeits will lead you away from the truth of God and will always leave you empty. It doesn't matter how much of uh, teaching is shrouded in pomp and circumstances or bolstered with ancient wisdom. If it leads you away from Christ, it leads you into emptiness and it leads you into bondage. Any tradition that does not begin with Christ and lead you to Christ is a rancid concoction that is brewed in the cauldron of man's heart and not in the purity of the springs of truth and God's truth. Notice not only is this, this false teaching shrouded in tradition, but see the source of this rotten spring in 8b. According to the elemental spirits of the world, not according to Christ. The elemental spirits are gods of this world that exert their influence over the minds of men. Ephesians says principalities and powers and authorities and throne who are in direct opposition to the kingdom of God. Lurking under every philosophy of this world is a demonic spirit who inspires prideful rebellion against God. Therefore, Paul, knowing the seriousness of leaving Christ for counterfeits, says if you embrace the philosophies of this world, you are committing cosmic treason against the Lord of creation and the Lord of new creation. Rituals offer freedom, but they bring captivity. Rituals that offer happiness, but they only give heartache. Rituals that offer satisfaction, but they only give emptiness. They will always, always, always lead you into bondage and leave you hungry and thirsty and naked. Yet too often we believe the particular whispers of philosophy and empty deceit. And I tell you this morning, as I echo Paul, counterfeits leave you empty. You must not be led away from Christ by counterfeits. Now, I want to take a brief excursion from my points and put another, um, not, I'm not going to charge you anything extra, but this will be free, but I want to be able to, I think all of you would say, absolutely, counterfeits leave us empty, and let's move on. 
But the question is, what are the counterfeits that you believe and that I believe? Because sometimes in the depths of our heart, we don't recognize the counterfeit gods that we are putting our faith and we're putting our trust in. Why are counterfeits so appealing? Why would we loosen our grip on Jesus Christ, our only hope in life and death, for the, to reach for a brass ring that always seems just beyond our reach and it causes ultimate peril and destruction? I believe it's this, because mankind has a restlessness of their heart that they cannot assuage. Probably few have articulated better than than uh, Thomas Jefferson, a quote that you all know. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with a certain unalienable rights, that among these are what? Life, liberty, and here it is, the pursuit of happiness. Now that pursuit of happiness is well beyond my pay grade with lawyers and attorneys and Supreme Courts, but that pursuit of happiness has been used to justify all sorts of things, both good and wicked. But Jefferson's word echoes the longings of every human heart to seek satisfaction, to find meaning, and who longs for purpose. We want something that will bring us peace and to satisfy that restlessness in our heart. And that, my friends, is how Satan will trap you every single time. But what are the counterfeits that trap us? What are the counterfeits that you believe in and that I believe in and that we believe in? Two main categories are counterfeit tradition and counterfeit gods. One of them is counterfeit tradition that moves us beyond Christ. We live in a world that there are nearly 7 billion people, and they are seeking to find satisfaction, many of them, most of them, or a majority of them, through re religious tradition. Believing that through religion, they can control God and they can control others. As uh, Sunday school, we talked about what do we have to do to make God happy? We think our moral performance, whether whatever tradition it is, we can um, have God look at us and, and we think, if I'm good, God will bless me. Islam seeks to appease Allah by performing the five pillars of Islam. Judaism seeks to please Yahweh by keeping the 613 laws of mitzvah. Hinduism seems to seeks to pacify thousands of gods by providing offerings and reciting mantras. But every pillar that is performed, every law that is kept, every offering that is provided, every mantra that is muttered provide, uh, is a rejection of Christ's completed work on the cross. It is saying it's not sufficient what God, Christ did, it's what I do. Whether they say that explicitly or not, any religious tradition that does not begin with Christ and lead us to Christ is a philosophy and an empty deceit no matter how sincere the person who does it 
performs that act. That should cause, there are billions of people who do not know the name of Christ and the work of Christ, and that should motivate us towards missions, to be able to bring the gospel into all the world from our backyard to the, uh, to the depths of the jungles in Asia, to be able to know the name of Jesus Christ. But even within Christianity, there are philosophies and empty traditions that have been injected in unknowingly or knowingly, and what they do is they lead you away from Christ. Tradition who claim faith in Christ's work at the cross is not enough, but a person must add their own good works to complete salvation. Jesus did most of it, but we just put it over the top. Traditions who claim that you have to perform a ritual to be saved, whether that is a baptism, walking the aisle, reciting a prayer, or holding a snake, that this ritual is something that you have to do to complete the work. Tradition that requires a person to experience something to be genuinely saved, whether that be speaking in tongues or some other manifestation of the Spirit. Traditions who claim that you must follow a long list of do's and don'ts with rules concerning everything from drinking to dress, movies to music. We don't, um, what is it? We, uh, I messed that up. I had a quote ready. We don't smoke and we don't chew and we don't go with girls who do. Rooted to toot, rooted to toot. And we joke, but often if you don't follow the long lists, that are compiled by pharisaical groups who say they love Jesus, but those lists are rolling down the aisle. That is adding and leading us away from the work of Christ at the cross. If you believe you must perform, recite, or seek an experience to ensure salvation, apart from trusting in Christ's completed work on the cross, it is a religious tradition created by man in an attempt to control God and to control others. And it will always, always, always lead you into bondage. Ocean Park, be warned. If you embrace counterfeit traditions, you will be led away from Christ into captivity. There's counterfeit traditions, but there's also counterfeit gods. Counterfeit gods that replace Christ, sometimes knowingly and sometimes unknowingly. You don't have to follow a religious tradition to be at risk of uh, embracing counterfeits. For the heart of man pursues happiness in all the wrong places. Calvin said the human mind is, so to speak, a perpetual forge of idols. The human heart will elevate anything, both good and bad, above Christ as our ultimate source of idolatry. Tim Keller, in his book, Counterfeit Gods, which is in the lobby, and uh, I would encourage you to check it out, writes this. What is idolatry in his preface? Anything that is more important to you than God. You need to start thinking. Here's your application. Start thinking. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give you. You see, Jefferson's pursuit of happiness that we as Americans think is biblical truth is actually um, something that can lead us into the pursuit of, ap uh, of happiness when we seek happiness apart from Christ. I want to read you an extended portion of Counterfeit Idols. This. 
A counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would hardly feel like living. An idol has such a controlling position of your mind that you can spend most of your passion and energy and emotional and financial resources on it without giving it a second thought. It can be your family and children or career or making money or achievement or critical acclaim or saving face and social standing. It can be a romantic relationship, peer approval, competence and skill, secure and comfortable circumstances, your beauty or your brains, a great, uh, a great politician or social cause, your morality and virtue, or even success in the Christian ministry. When your meaning in life is fixed to someone else's life, we may call it codependency, but it's really idolatry. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. And if I'll know I have value, then I'll feel significant and secure. There are many ways to describe that kind of relationship to something. Perhaps the best one is worship. See, we form idols in all different ways. Idols aren't just wood and, and stone or bad things and wicked things uh, that we know uh, are obvious, but many times they are the things that we don't even notice because they're in our blind spots or we're so familiar with those. Countless men and women have tried to fill that void to, and that pursuit of happiness by serving counterfeit gods. They have taken good things like family and music and sport and education even church, and made them ultimate things, thus replacing Christ. And when you take good things and make them ultimate things, you make them worthless things. Yet they can tell you, and you can probably tell you time and time again, your idols do not satisfy you, but you keep running on the hamster wheel of idolatry. And it only leads you into deeper and deeper despair. Ocean Park, what are the counterfeits, the counterfeit gods and the counterfeit traditions that your heart is pursuing, willingly and unwillingly? What empty promises from counterfeit gods and traditions do you believe? What philosophies and empty deceit do you scribe to, willingly or unwillingly? Counterfeit gods are everywhere, and our hearts are easily drawn to them. But let me tell you this, you must not be led away from Christ by counterfeits. Well, we get back to our regular scheduled programming. Counterfeits leave you empty, and Christ leaves you full. Counterfeits leave you empty, and Christ leaves you full. Yesterday, our family was able to go to Jekyll Island and to Driftwood Beach. And whenever you go to the beach, whether it's Jack's Beach or Jekyll Island or wherever, Take a moment as you stand on the edge of the sand and you look out across the ocean. It's almost that it, it stretches forever as far as the eyes can see. Water and sky. Water and sky. And it's almost infinite. You know it's not because, you know, you went to social studies and geography. You know it's not. But it sure feels that way, doesn't it? This seeming infinite vastness of the ocean overwhelms you when you feel your finiteness, your tininess, your almost insignificance in this world. 
Imagine if you were to take a small mason jar and submerge it under the water, the fullness of the ocean would rush into that jar and fill that jar to overflowing. But you could never, you could never put the ocean's fullness in that jar. But the, the jar fills up with the fullness that comes from the ocean. In the same manner, Jesus, through the words of Paul that tells us, Christ is infinite. He holds the fullness of God in himself. And he, we take our tiny little mason jars, the vessels of our life, and the fullness of God that dwells in Christ fills us up, never exhausting Christ. But it overwhelms and overflows from us until we are satisfied with Christ. Ocean Park, Christ is able to fill you with meaning and significance and purpose to assuage that peace that is in your, the restlessness in your heart with peace because of the fullness of God that dwells in Christ. Notice the fullness of God that exists in Christ in verse 9. For in Him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity bodily dwells. Paul assures the Colossians they don't need counterfeits because they have Jesus. Jesus is not just another God in the pantheons of gods. He's not just a choice in the spiritual buffet. He's just not another candidate that vies for our vote. Jesus is all we need because he is God in flesh. The fullness of God dwells in him. He isn't a junior God. He's not limited in power. He's not restricted in authority. His jurisdiction is not restrained. He is God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. He is Lord of creation and Lord of new creation. When you see Jesus, you are looking at the face of God. When you hear his words, you are listening to the voice of God. When you see the passion of Jesus in his, uh, when he wept, when he showed compassion on the crowds, when he displayed righteous indignation, you are witnessing the heart of God. His body is the temple of God where the fullness of God is able to, dwell, to abide. He is the visible, visible expression of God. This is why Paul wrote in chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, by Him all things were created. All things were created through Him and for Him. In Him all things hold together. He is reconciling all things to Himself. If this is true, if this doctrine that Paul is teaching us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is true, why would we go anywhere else but to Jesus for, to, for happiness, for joy, for fullness? But so often, like a broken record we do, we, like Israel in our Old Testament reading, when Jesus or uh, Jeremiah asked, has a nation changed its gods? Even though they are no gods at all. But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. And then as Jeremiah, as the prosecuting attorney, turns to the jury of witnesses, the creation that bears the glory of God and says, be appalled, O heavens. Be shocked at the treachery and the treason that is committed by these people. 
be utterly desolate, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. Not only that, they have hewn out cisterns, they have dug wells for themselves, broken cisterns, broken wells that hold no water, and they are dying of thirst because they have forsaken the waters of life. And Jesus, the Word made flesh, says, Come to me and drink of the living waters. Why do we build mud pies in the slum when a holiday at the beach is offered? Why do we seek refuge in slave quarters when we have a place in the family home? Why do we root in the refuse of the ghetto, in the alley of the ghetto, when a feast at the banquet table is ours to enjoy? Christ leaves you full because the fullness of God dwells in Him alone. Not only do we see the fullness of God in Christ, but the fullness of Christ in us. Verse 10, And you have been filled in Him, who is the head and rule and authority. I, I don't think I realize the incredible nature of this verse. It's so easy to gloss it over, especially when you're tired and you're not a morning person and the coffee hasn't kicked in. When you read verses like this that should stop you in your tracks and make you fall on your face because you're overwhelmed by the grace and mercy that we receive from our God. The one through whom all things were created. The one who holds all things together. The one who possesses all the fullness of God fills all who are united to Him. He gives us of Himself. Ocean Park, I plead with you, I beg with you and with me that only Christ can fill you with what you need because only Christ has the fullness of God in Him. When Jesus says to you, come, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. He is giving them the promises. He is telling people that are weighed down in the captivity and being led into captivity with shackles on their feet and shackles on their neck to come to Him and find rest because the work has been done by Christ. Everything we need. Jesus promises to fill to overflowing all who find their refuge and their trust in him. Think about it. Romans 15, 13. Paul wrote this book as well. May the God of hope do what? Fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Joy and peace don't come from you. You don't have to do it. You don't have to produce it. There's not three steps to be joyful. Where does it come from? Cling to Christ. Lift up your empty vessel with shaking hands as a hungry child lifts up his sippy cup to his mother and says more. We lift up the empty, broken vessels of our life and says, fill me with joy and peace because my circumstances leave me empty and my counterfeit gods leave me thirsty. In Christ there is joy, not as something we produce, but something that flows in union with Christ. Paul writing in another book in Philippians. He says, may you be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. It's not what we bear. It's we coming and clinging and said, fill us with the fruit of righteousness. 
a.k.a. the fruit of the Spirit that comes through our union with the vine, with the, with the, uh, the trunk. We are the branches. In Christ, there is fruit of righteousness, not as something we yield, but as the result of being filled with Christ as he fills our empty vessel. It overflows in righteousness. And another promise just in a chapter earlier, Paul says this as well. And so from the day we heard, heard of your love, faith, love, and hope, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking what? That you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. In Christ, there is wisdom and understanding, not as something you achieve or perform or do, but as something as a result of being united and filled with Christ. Ocean Park, your greatest need is Christ. Only Christ Only in Christ can you find satisfaction because only in Christ does the fullness of God dwell. And he offers that to us for all who come to him to to satisfy the thirst and to assuage the hunger in us. If you miss this truth, you will spend your whole life following the whispers of counterfeit gods only to find that you can never fulfill that restlessness in your heart. Augustine says, we have been created for God and find our rest in Him, and we are restless until we rest in Christ. However, if you realize, brothers and sisters, myself included, that Jesus Christ is your greatest need, you will find an unceasing flow of joy and wisdom and strength, for in Christ alone does the fullness of God dwell. In the mountaintops, you'll be filled with the knowledge and joy and peace. And in the valley, when your spiritual soul is parched, And dehydration of your faith is near. It is Christ who comes with a sip of cool water to sustain you so you can put one foot in front of the other. It is Christ who brings us of himself. When you are weak, it's not you who are strong. It's Christ who is strong. When you are lost, he is the path. When you are poor, he is rich. When you are blind, he is your sight. When you are enslaved, he is freedom. When you are lonely, he is a friend. When you are thirsty, he is water. When you are hungry, he is bread. Only Jesus is able to give you what you need, when you need it, and the amount that you need. He does not give you things. He gives you himself. He does not give you things He gives you himself, and that is exactly what you need. Ocean Park, those who are filled with Christ do not feel a chronic dissatisfaction with life or a nagging sense of insecurity. They are free to live their lives to please God and willingly pour out themselves to others, knowing the promise that Christ will fill them. Because we know it is Christ who fills us, and because of that, we will never run dry. Ocean Park, you must not be led away from Christ by counterfeits. When Anna and Andrew were little, 
The counterfeits were things like strangers who offered puppy and candy. Now that they're teenagers, the counterfeits are popularity and independence. Someday those counterfeits will be anything from power to pleasure to prominence. And we're all the same. Our heart is seeking after this pursuit of happiness. And often because our hearts are idle factories, we chase after counterfeit gods. We think that the greatest happiness in life it will be, um, we think the greatest happiness in reality are actually the greatest harms for our soul because it leads us away from the only source of life and, uh, and fullness, which is Jesus Christ. I'm good for quoting this quote probably two, three times a year by C.S. Lewis in his great sermon, The Quote of Glo- The Weight of Glory. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward, and the staggering nature of the rewards that are promised to us in the gospel, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum, because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. I ask you this morning, what are the mud pies in the slums that you are making because you cannot imagine the fullness that is offered to you in Christ? What are the empty traditions that you cling to that lead you away from Christ? What are the counterfeit gods that that hold you captive, both willingly and unwillingly? Sometimes those counterfeit gods we treasure, sometimes we feel like there's nothing else that we can do. Let them go. And go to Jesus. For the first time, and again, and again, every day, and say, I believe. Help my unbelief. I trust you. I'm yours. Save me. Ocean Park, you must not let, must not be led away from the fullness of Christ by empty counterfeits.